You are listening to the preaching ministry of Christ Church San Antonio. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.christchurchsa.com. Thank you for listening. This is a hard psalm. This is a hard text for us to study this morning. There is a lot of bitterness and pain and rage pent up that just kind of floods out of the writer of this psalm. By way of background, we should understand that what's going on in this psalm is a reaction to the Israelites being taken away in captivity to Babylon, a foreign pagan land where they were treated as slaves, as nothing, taken away from their homeland, from the land of the temple, their land that God had given them as their possession for all eternity, and that was taken away from them, and they end up in Babylon. So what we end up with is we have a psalm that is about when you can't sing. And so I want to ask you this morning, have there been times in your life, maybe this morning, when you feel like you can't sing? Not that you can't sing well, but that the song is something you just can't find within you. Maybe you look around you and you see political unrest and turmoil and lack of trust and conflict. And, and in response to that, you feel like you've lost your song. Maybe there's some personal tragedy going on. You're struggling with illness, pain, and loss in your own life, in your family, and you feel like you've lost your voice to sing. All of us reach those low points at various times in our lives. Maybe yours is now, maybe yours is in the past, and maybe yours is to come. But the psalmist describes a situation for us where the people of Israel from Judah who have been taken away from, to, from Judah to Babylon feel that they have lost their song. And what we are to learn from the scripture this morning is that pain does take away our song. But song is a gift and a calling and our only path back to true peace. So let's look at the words of Psalm 137 and uh, related passages together then. First of all, we'll kind of skip to, to verse 2 of Psalm 137, if you want to look at that with me. There is a mocking call to sing to the Gentiles, to the pagans in Babylon who have taken them captive. The psalmist writes that on the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And you can see and kind of feel the psalmist emotional just gut reaction to that. Like these are the songs of Jerusalem. These are the songs of our people, of the land that you've taken away from us. How, do, how can you ask us to sing of this land 
and this home that you've robbed from us. And on that level, right, it makes sense. We can identify with that and see how true that would feel. But we can't, and this is really the the key to understanding Psalm 137, we can't read the psalm in a vacuum as if it were the only text of Scripture for us to use to make sense of this. You see, the mocking call to sing is not the first call that God's people have received to sing and proclaim God's truth to the Gentiles. You see what sort of song there's, it's, it sort of equivocates at first. It's one of the songs of Zion, so it makes you think, well, it's, it's a song of their homeland, right? Which is true. Uh, but the psalmist goes further to say that they're being asked to sing the Lord's song in a foreign land. In other words, they are being asked to praise God before people who do not know him. They are being asked to proclaim his truth in song to those who do not know him. And they're not being asked to do this in a vacuum here by the Gentiles, the pagans. This is something that was their job. It was their calling. We can stretch back to the very beginning of the nation of Israel, God's people, when Abram is called by God. And God tells him in Genesis 12, in you all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And what he means by that, of course, because Abraham dies But the nation of Israel lives on, and the blessing that is to come to the nations of the world is the blessing of God's truth being made known to them. So the invitation is a tortuous invitation from the Gentiles, but it's an invitation for Israel to fulfill her true calling to proclaim God's truth to the pagan nations. We can see this as an example. This is sort of how God was weaving this into their law in Deuteronomy chapter 12, where he describes the the procedure for the Feast of Booths, and he tells them, assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to do all the words of this law that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land and that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You see, God was weaving this pattern and practice of proclaiming his truth to the Gentile and pagan nations throughout the law for the Israelites to heed and follow. And it is precisely to this calling that the pagan nations are asking them to return with this torturous request for song. I mean, it doesn't make it any less painful, but it, it's a calling to fulfill their true purpose. And 
because God knows the path they will take, he says in Deuteronomy chapter 28, and the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. And among these nations you shall find no respite, and there shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot, but the Lord will give you there a trembling heart and failing eyes and a languishing soul. You see, the pain that Judah was experiencing in captivity in Babylon was a pain that was foretold of them by God, knowing that they would fail in this purpose of mission to the pagan nations. So this is what we see, that uh, pain takes away our song. If you look at the first verse of Psalm 137, the psalmist writes, By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Their response to the invitation to sing was to put away their instruments and to weep. And they, they asked this painful rhetorical question, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? It's a rhetorical question, right? We're in pain. We, we've been taken away from our homeland. We've been taken away from the gifts that God gave us in the land, the promised land. And how can we sing how can we praise? How can we tell his truth with this gaping wound in our souls? The answer to that is that joyful song is God's gift to us as well as our path back to peace. Now, we do see throughout the, the remainder of the psalm that there is a natural response of bitterness. And there is a, a just a cause and effect proportionate response of God's judgment. The, the Babylonians who carried away God's people in captivity did so as an evil act of cruelty and wanton violence. And God will not let them go unpunished. And the Edomites, sort of from the context, what you can see is the Edomites. You go, well, where did the Edomites come in? There was no Edomite captivity. The Edomites were the sorts of folks who stood on the periphery when Israel was in judgment to laugh, the descendants of Esau, to laugh at the descendants of Jacob in Israel, to laugh and scorn and mock for what had happened to them. So judgment is being pronounced on Babylon and Edom, and it's just brutal. So how do we reckon with this? First of all, I want to say that this isn't the end. 
it sounds very final the way that the judgment is described, but know that God has more in store. But a few points. Number one, this is not describing a plan and a command for Israel to enact their own vengeance. This is a description that just as evil was done to Israel by Babylon, so evil will be done to Babylon in proportionate judgment coming from God. I mean, we can't really dismiss this as just a brute fact of emotion recorded in Scripture because God is the one who orchestrates this judgment, as the prophet Isaiah tells us. But it is a description of coming judgment for the savage slaughter of the Hebrew people. But even though it is God's judgment, I want to contrast this with another text from the same time period. Now, what we should understand, this is the key to Psalm 137, is understanding that this is not the only thing that God was saying at this time. That at the same time that Psalm 137 is being written, God has his prophets, predominantly the prophet Jeremiah, speaking into this captivity situation. So if we go to Jeremiah chapter 29... I want you to notice the contrast in attitude between the fact of God's judgment being rendered against evil for a holocaust against the Hebrew people perpetrated in the Babylonian captivity and the posture that God calls his people to have and the attitude he gives them with respect to their captors. Jeremiah Jeremiah 29 says... Here are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the elders who were carried away captive. So the letter was sent to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Thus says the Lord to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. And notice the contrast in tone from vengeance. Build houses, dwell in them, plant gardens, eat their fruit, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased and not diminished. Seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. When your tormentors have peace, you will have peace. When those who mock you and call for your song have peace, you will have peace. And we could fairly ask, Still, God, how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Jeremiah answers that question also. 
in chapter 31 of his letter to us, he says, At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword, they found grace in the wilderness. The Lord appeared to him from afar, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And comes the song. Again you will take up your tambourines and go forth to the dances of the merrymakers. For there will be a day when watchmen on the hills of Ephraim call out, Arise, and let us go up to Zion to the Lord our God. You see, for thus says the Lord, Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob and shout among the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. You see, the key is in that last line there. O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel, and its order in relation to the preceding text. The song has returned to Israel as a gift from God even before salvation occurs. So this call to sing precedes the redemption, restoration, and salvation of Israel. But it doesn't end there in vengeance. Jeremiah kind of skips all over the place, time-wise, but he describes the fruit of this restored song to the Hebrew people in chapter 16. He says, O Lord, my strength and my stronghold, my refuge in the day of trouble, to you shall the nations come. See, the judgment described in Psalm 137 is real and it's powerful but it is not the end. To you shall the nations come from the ends of the earth and say, our fathers have inherited nothing but lies, worthless things in which there is no profit. Can a man make for himself gods? Such are not gods. Therefore, behold, I will make them know, the Lord says, I will make them know This once I will make them know my power and might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. You see, pain is just what we feel living in a broken, fallen world. There's no way of stepping away from pain, stepping around it. It will punch you in the gut. And it will take away when it punches you in your gut. It will take away your song. But the message of the prophet Jeremiah and the psalmist to you is that when your song is taken away, trust and look to the Lord. He will restore your song. He will give you your voice, and your voice is a voice of hope and redemption for those around you to see and taste that he is the Lord and he is good. Deliverance, redemption, healing, and peace come through this gift 
of song. This is why David, when at the climax of his repentance, of his murderous sin against Uriah the Hittite and his adultery with Bathsheba, his cry to the Lord was, Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. And this is our prayer, to have our lips opened, our eyes to see his goodness, and to have this gift of praise settled firmly within our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we give thanks knowing that it is only you who can give us song. It is only you who can open our lips and cause our mouths to declare your praise. So we thank you that you are faithful to do that. When the Hebrew people were arrogant, complacent, and trusting that because they lived in and around the temple of the Lord where he dwelled, that they were safe, that they had nothing to fear, not because of trusting the Lord, but because of who they were. They were visited with pain. And just being in a fallen world, we see, feel pain. But we know that there is more, that there is redemption, that there is hope. And we thank you for the gift of Jesus, who is healing us, making this world new, and making our hope something that does not disappoint. So we ask you as we praise you to open our lips and help us to declare your praise. In Jesus' name, amen.